0: Hi, this is a podcast of the best bits of the Breakfasters for the week ending July 31. Breakfasters is a Monday to Friday breakfast show broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia. Coming up on this podcast, you are going to hear us uh, talking to Toby Halligan for our weekly politics chat. He dug into the new defamation laws in Australia and what's changing and what's not changing. We also uh, had a good conversation with Nornie Barrow about uh, the damper making class that she runs at her restaurant. We've got a restaurant diner, Mabu Mabu.
1: Yeah. Uh, also, um, I split some wood and found something really cool inside one of the bits of wood. Um, we had uh, Wednesday Wisecracker it was Jonathan Schuster trying to do a bit of matchmaking amongst other things and we got to chat to Michael Harden for Food Interlude about the art of building a great sandwich. Uh,
2: we weren't done with singers and we uh, we had to exhaust that. Uh, talking our faves, Simon Hinckley for Feature Creatures looked at the love darts of snails and our Friday funny bugger was Prue Blake.
3: Triple R.
4: The prime minister has the call.
5: The opposition has a point of order.
4: Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Madam Speaker.
5: Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Madam Speaker.
3: The level of interjections is far too high. Order! Order! order.
2: Here to talk defamation law in Australian media, we're joined by a political watcher and Zodiac killer, Toby Halligan. Hey, Toby. Hello,
6: everyone. Is anyone else tired? I'm exhausted. I can't tell you why. Uh, Who knows? Who knows why? Anyway, good times. Good times. Me and Ted Cruz just been hanging out. Um, That is such an in-joke. Oh, good times. Anyway, whatever. Um defamation law oh my goodness i've got a i know i'm often enthusiastic about like things that most normal people would find incredibly boring but i really like defamation law i'm a bit of a nerd for it um so uh this is really exciting to come to one of my favorite subjects so um the context to all of this is uh has um listeners to the show may be dimly aware um uh Defamation law in Australia is broken, basically. It has, Australia has one of the um, most restrictive in the sense of uh, the burden it imposes on media organisations, um, defamation laws in the world. Um, in England, Wales, Canada and New Zealand, there exists a defence of, um, it's called responsible public interest journalism. And so as part of that defence, even if a story from a journalist contains some errors of fact, it would be defensible if the journalism was conducted responsibly and the information was in the public Interest because, as um, people uh, may well be aware, there have been quite a few. I think it was, I'm just looking for my study here. So, between 2008 and 2017 in Australia, media organizations defended or partially defended 300. Cases uh, in the courts. 29% of those cases um, went for defendants, um, but more than 51% of them were settled um, in that period. And uh, plaintiffs were probably paid out about 70% of the the time. So that compares to the UK, which in 2013 introduced a um, defence like this, and since then there have been 16 cases involving big media organisations. Because the basic problem in Australia is that it just takes – we have a a few defences that uh, exist, things like um, honest opinion, um, uh, the public interest where stories are published in a reasonable manner, but because Australia's defamation law um, um, statutes haven't been updated in a very, very long time, they've basically – through decisions made by legislatures and the courts, effectively those defences really do not um, stand up to scratch. And so it's very, very easy, in particular for conservative politicians who do tend to sue more than others, for actors, for others, just to sue the media and basically bully the media into silence. Um, uh, Clive Palmer is notorious for doing this, allegedly. I think I might no, that wouldn't help at all um but uh you know um in terms of threatening defamation lawsuits um uh, and People like Joe Hockey, Tony Abbott, Peter Costello have all sued newspapers over things that really were incredibly minor. So there was a review of the New South Wales Act that took a very, very long time to come back, I think six years. And that review basically um, has finally kind of come through in June with um, a series of recommendations, including, in particular, a responsible kind of public interest journalism test, if you like, which... Will be, I think, a very, very good thing for a lot of media in Australia.
2: Mm-hmm. So the the Council of Attorneys General are meeting today. Uh, did, what? How likely is it the laws will change, and in, in what direction?
6: So there were sixteen big recommendations for reform. Um, uh, threshold one one is a threshold for serious harm. One of the trick trickiest parts of Australian defamation law is weirdly, basically if someone can prove they've been defamed, they don't really need to prove the harm that's been caused to their reputation. Um, Like, it's incredibly broad. Like, Andrew Ellinghausen was, when his picture was put on the front of a magazine, a picture of him naked in the shower, and to be clear, I'm not defending people taking pictures of other people naked in the shower, Um, but uh, he was able to sue because he was subject to ridicule because his penis looked small. It, well, the shadow that people thought might be his penis in in the because the the glass was misty. I don't know whether you guys have seen the picture. I would probably, you know, accidentally draw more attention to it. Although you may well not be able to find it online because of that finding. A lot of sites took it down because um it was damaging. So there's a, a serious harm test, a single publication rule, so that where um. Uh, Like articles, news articles that are left up online in archives can't be sued on for years after publication. Um, Protections for social media platforms are another potential change and internet service providers. And the reason for that is there's been a lack of clarity in Australia for a while about what technically counts as publishing. So, for example, Google, almost a decade ago now, basically someone had placed Uh, someone else on a a random website where they alleged they were part of a crime family. And because Google listed that information in one of its kind of archives, this person was able to sue them for $450,000. Recently, there have been cases involving uh, uh, Facebook whereby media organisations have posted links. People have said things in the comments that were defamatory and where media organisations were found to be legally liable for those comments because they they didn't delete them. So it looks like quite a few of those changes will be introduced. Um, And uh, this kind of comes off the back of substantial pressure from the media, I think, for a very, very long time. But I think as well the sheer size of defamation payouts has become a massive problem like Jeffrey Rush got I think 2.8 million dollars. Um, Rebel Wilson originally I think got six million dollars which was reduced to six hundred thousand. So um, I think it's pretty likely that we'll get a maybe a, a certainly a public interest test. Um, that will give a lot of media organisations a proper uh, defence, we may get a serious harm test and you would think that there will be clarity around social media because, and this is part of the problem, right, with defamation is that it's so broad in Australia that almost certainly every, all of us and every person listening will absolutely have defamed people because even if what you're saying... Uh, Um, do um, do you guys um, remember the the chaser boys and their implication that a certain um, news corp journalist had engaged in sexual activity with a dog the allegation in that case i'm forgetting his name chris chris kenny chris kenny right and and they published a poorly photoshopped picture of chris kenny and a dog right now the court Part of the argument in that court, eventually Tony Abbott forced the newspaper, um, the ABC, to settle, and he got paid 75 grand, Kenny did. But Kenny's argument in that was not that it led to anyone thinking he'd actually had sex with a dog, but that it simply held him up to ridicule, like the implication that he was the kind of person who might have sex with a dog was enough for him to sue and have a basis, a serious claim in court, and that is just such a broad test that I think judges genuinely struggle to actually reach consistent determinations. So in a way, this is kind of an area of law where, like comedians, media commentators, like a, a, just a casual remark can could potentially lead to life ruining um, litigation. So I think definitely there'll be a, um, a, a public interest test that'll be introduced, but you'd hope as well a serious harm test.
2: Mm. So, there's I guess you', as you say, there'd be chilling effects on comedy, there's chilling effects, I suppose, on the me too coverage. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. And also investigating politicians. it would It's surprising then that politicians would go into bat for for press that investigates them.
6: Yeah, I mean, this has been driven by the New South Wales state government. And uh, so Australia basically has consistent – it's called uniform defamation law. It's been made consistent kind of at a federal level. I think there's just been a collective recognition that it is now costing too much. Um, And, and, and yeah, like also I've got to say – and and I'm not I'm not having a go at everyone on this list, but if you look at some of the journalists who've success, politicians who've successfully sued, sorry, Joe Biocchi Peterson, Tony Abbott and Peter Costello sued Bob Ellis because in his book he'd implied that I think Tony Abbott's wife may may have also slept with Peter Costello at some point, which like part of the issue I think is these cases have a Streisand effect. You know, the Barbara Streisand effect where um, someone, uh, had taken pictures of Streisand's home and we're going to publish them. She sued to stop publication. And as a result, the whole world found out about them and found out where her home was. Like it drew a huge amount of attention to the actual issue. Like in the Abbott and Costello case, like no one would have, not that many people would have read Bob Ellis's book if they hadn't sued for that reason. But mm. I think this is also part of a recognition that, being a journalist and working in the media is becoming increasingly unprofitable, nigh impossible, and if you actually continue to leave these laws in place, it makes it almost very, very challenging to engage in any kind of public interest journalism about figures like Gina Reinhart or Clive Palmer, because it's very easy for them to pay lawyers to just tie you up, because even losing a defamation lawsuit... Oh, sorry, winning a defamation lawsuit can be ruinous. It's always a Pyrrhic victory. Um, yeah. Uh, one famous example, I did some defamation law training at the project when I worked there, was Channel 7 um, uh paid a settlement to a gentleman because they'd um, run a story implying that he may have been associated with an outlaw bicycle gang outlaw bicycle gang outlaw motorbike gang um uh and he sued them because he had lots of time and he could just sit in the law library and they paid him out even though at the time he was in jail for murdering three people on behalf of that outlaw bicycle gang (laughs) i'm sticking with the term now so um yeah hopefully there'll be some substantial change there um But if not, I could become a defamation lawyer and, you know, like make lots of money randomly suing people.
2: That's right. Uh, Toby Halligan, thanks very much. I take back what I said about the Zodiac stuff.
7: (laughs) Oh, See you in court, mate. (laughs) Triple R -R 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 on FM Digital Online via the app.
2: Norni Barrow is owner and head chef at Yarraville's Mabu Mabu, a Torres Strait-run business with an emphasis on fresh, seasonal and native ingredients. Norni is leading a free online damper-making class this Thursday at 10am, showing participants how to incorporate Indigenous ingredients and flavours into home cooking. And to tell us about the workshop, the professional chef of over 20 years joins us on the line now. Norni, welcome to Breakfasters.
4: Hi, thanks for having
2: me. Our pleasure. Um, Firstly, can you tell us some of the history and philosophy behind Mabu Mabu? Uh,
4: Well, a bit of a history is that we started at South Melbourne Market. So we're like a village family, so we, we wanted to make our own village. So we started at South Melbourne Market and we were very lucky to be able to go to Yarraville. I love the village feel that is there and it's got a very good community. So once we went there, it was just you know, a really great fit for us and um, I couldn't have asked for a better location for us to be there and we had the opportunity to sort of be able to, um, find and buy a place there that really could, you know, give us more of, an opening for people to actually come and really sit and enjoy and, and have chats with us more than what we did at the South Melbourne market. But we well, the best thing is now that we, we're still at the South Melbourne market because we built our community there. So our products are still there and it's just now we are happy to be in a couple of different places now. So, which is really cool. Mm. And
2: can you tell us about uh, where you grew up and what you learned culinary wise?
4: Oh, well, I grew up on an island in the Torres Strait, so I'm i a true Blue Island girl, you know, grew up with a spear in my hand, all that kind of stuff. So I literally, you know, had to fish and um, basically get all my own food. Well, don't say that. Like I mean, my parents, obviously. <laughs> my dad did feed me. My dad did feed me. But, um, yeah, so, uh, yeah, island life is amazing. Came down to Australia for high school, as normal kids get sent down for a better education, that kind of stuff, and you know, end up in Melbourne. I don't know why because I love the <laughs> weather here. Um, <laughs> yeah, absolutely fantastic. So, I guess my career started with working alongside my dad because my dad, um, uh, for to earn money to have uh, to get petrol so that we could run the generators to run the house, he put a bamboo wall in the middle of our house and made a tuck shop out of um, uh-huh. half of our house. So I used to deliver pumpkin buns and damper and stuff to the locals that ordered them, and, I, yeah, I used to watch my dad do it. And then they would go out, get big fish and make fish burgers so that they could earn money. And he used to pay me in marbles, which I wish I could pay my staff in marbles now, but <laughs> <laughs> that's not the case. But, um You know, uh, so I guess my love of food started then and my culture has been very strong within me and I guess, you know, being a chef for such a long time down here that I just brought all that back and really wanted to emphasise that, you know, we have this amazing Indigenous cuisine that people don't realise that we have and I've noticed that since we've opened that people, half sometimes people are like, I didn't know Indigenous people had food. It's Mm. like, (laughs) that's interesting. (laughs)
0: <laughs> wow i was gonna say how was it first received when you did open because uh, no, i don't want to bring up master chef but i always do in the most recent um season of master chef indigenous um ingredients focus kind of came up quite heavily like contestants were really trying to hero them all the time and i mean for me that was like wow that's a real crossover into the kind of mainstream but what was it like when you kind of first started introducing these ingredients to melbourne
4: a lot of it educational like you know so it's a constant sort of educating people on on actually how to use them because and yeah. also really tell them that it's not like a superfood and it's not just for fancy restaurants it actually is for everyone and it's like our own Australian produce so we should there shouldn't be an excuse of us having it in our cupboards you know if we've got oregano we can have saltbush which I call the black man's oregano so I just think that you know we should be having those things and uh, it's one thing that, like, we're really, um, we're trying to do at Mabu Mabu is make sure that people could just go out and ask for it all the time so that the supply and the demand is more there and the more the prices will, you know, decrease and stuff. And I think, I think, yeah, it's, it's just one of those things where you have to enjoy what your own country gives you, you know. This, we're all from here and we're not eating enough of our own stuff. Mm. So how uh, how
2: much work goes into damper, getting getting the damper the way you like it?
4: Oh, that's like a piece of cake for me. Like, Yeah. You know,
1: I was going to uh, say, damper's pretty easy, isn't it?
4: Yeah, damper's pretty easy. It's just like, you know, I'm, I, what I'm doing at the moment is getting rid of the sourdough, you know. I'm trying to outdo sourdough. So I'm like, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm challenging sourdough recipes at the moment. So this is my big focus on making damper. Because um, the whole idea of like the way that we want to present like you know um, native and traditional food is to make it really kind of urban and fun to do, and if you do it that way, people can react a bit more better to it, you know, and understand it. So when we put on damper classes as we do, it's like it's fun, you know. You you wanna you wanna learn about ingredients. Well, this is how you do it. And the best thing about the damper classes is that we've we've perfected a way of like you know introducing you know three different elements of indigenous food into making damper really cool
5: Mm. you know
4: and people are like oh but it's just like bread and water you're like everybody has it in your cupboard like you you have all the ingredients that make damper all the time I mean except for in COVID because everybody's buying flour to buy sour but um like I said to make a damper is like fifteen minutes of your time. You know, you can do it in a lunch break. You can and then put leave it in the oven and then have it for you know. Because we we go through the process of we make three different dampers with this class. So we do one with using pumpkin because I call it the cheat damper where people are like, "Wow, I'm eating vegetables in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have to eat a vegetable for the rest of the day." So. <laughs> So, I mean, and then we have the wattle seed damper, which is an afternoon tea snack. So it's, it's like black man's coffee scroll, you know? Yeah. Um, so it's really awesome and then you learn about how to do it. And then you've got that nighttime dinner sort of, you know, um, damper as well where the saltbush comes into it, you know, mm. and making your own herb damper. So there's like a whole bunch of things that you can do with it that makes it really cool to do and make it interesting as well. Is there anything
2: that people need to do before the class? Like, do you need to acquire? What do you need to acquire and how do you get it?
4: Yeah, so um, we have damper kits um, through the shop. So if you want to come and pick them up from Yarraville, please wear your mask, obviously. Um, and, uh, yeah, so you can online order some damper kits that we've pretty much made up that has, you know, things from your banana leaf to your flower to your recipe card Um, but you can also just email us and if you're like, I don't have a recipe card, if you register with, um, online for KHT, they will actually have the recipe card that they can send out for you. Mm -hmm. And and how
2: is a restaurateur going in, in ISO?
4: Oh, wow. That's a big question. Um, to be honest, I think, you know, um, we're all in the same boat and unfortunately, you know. Um, my main concern is like my staffing, you know, and, and how they're going to survive in this whole pandemic. And so we try and do as best we can and things like this, the workshops and um, our online store really saved our business from from closing up We because we were young when we opened up as well. So we've only been open nine months and um, half of that time has been in, <laughs> in coronavirus. So wow. um, So what we did was we the first time we shut down is that we pivoted the business as the new word is that everybody's saying now. Um, And I, because I took it from my dad, that's why I probably started with that story is that when he needed money to keep the lights on, he made a tuck shop. So then when I needed the money to keep the lights on, I then made Mabu Mabu Tuck Shop. So now we have Mabu Mabu Tuck Shop at night so that we can do the stuff that we need to keep the lights on.
2: Mm. I've I've seen, I haven't tasted it, but I've seen your dragon fruit and strawberry gum ricotta cream, and I nearly burst into tears.
4: Yeah, well, it's all about natural colors, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Natural flavors. You don't want to, you don't want to. It's very interesting, actually, because when you make that, it's great for kids because they think they're literally eating strawberry, but they're eating like a leaf and um, and, um, dragon fruit. So. It's great. Oh, my
2: God. Uh, Well, Nornie Barrow's free online damper-making class is this Thursday at 10 a.m. For more details, head to Trust.com.au and uh, you can check out Mabu Mabu online at mabumabu.com.au and we've been chatting with uh, Chef Nornie Barrow. Thanks, Nornie. Thank you so
1: much.
4: Triple Ah.
1: Huge day in our house yesterday. I don't know about you guys, but... um, Kath, um, let me use the wood splitter. You guys got a wood splitter? Anyone got a wood
0: splitter? Is it like an axe?
1: <laughs> no, not at all. Uh, it's a, um, it's like a long hydraulic kind of thing where you just put a piece of wood there and then it pushes it and at the end there's like a, a pointy bit at the end and it just pushes it into that so the wood splits. Oh, yeah. I don't want
2: them near the cot.
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs> how fun
2: <Fair laughs> it right.
1: is well yeah I mean it's yeah I thought it was fun I enjoyed it it's a uh, I think it's the efficiency of um uh, yeah the efficiency of it you know when you're doing chores and stuff and it's like oh just can't and but that is just I love the method of it you just pick a piece up put it mm-hmm. on press the the button and off it goes is
2: it, like, is it the sort of device that James Bond villains use. Yeah, I reckon. Oh. Just before the finale. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 You could, I, I
1: thought about, because it, it's funny, like I thought it would be really, I mean, it is dangerous, but I thought it was much more, da- I, I was envisioning something more dangerous. Right. Like I was envisioning, you know, the, when um, like lots of sawdust, that kind of. Yeah. It would be really sharp, but it's not. It just, like this blunt like, it's like having a really blunt axe at the end and you just push the wood onto it really hard. Mm. But the machine does that for you. So it's like, and I was like, oh, this is, because I was thinking um, I'd have to wear safety glasses and stuff. And I thought, nah, none of that. Like, a 10-year-old could use it. Um, so I was like, oh, yeah, this is great. Also, um, fun fact, you can apparently you can buy them from Aldi.
2: A wood
1: really? splitter. Yeah, my God, that sister. That is unusual. I know, isn't it? My like my sister's got one. She gets, and my niece was like, "Yeah, we got it from Aldi. I'm like,
2: "Great." It's um, just just on a, a lexical thing. It's, it sounds like it's not so much splitting the wood as slicing it or carving it like bread. Yeah, no, and that's why it sounds like an axe. Like because an axe, you know, splits it. You don't know where it's going to go. But this is, I don't know. Look, whatever. It's just words. But
1: just, just... <laughs> it looks no, I mean... gentle. No, but it's hard, like a, like it's bone crunching, though, because yeah, I would right. imagine oh, this is God, where no. the bond thing comes into it. <laughs> you think it's not that dangerous, but then you think if I put my hand on that.
2: Yeah, yeah, you it, split it, open. It, yeah. Yeah, got punch, it.
1: Punch all my bones. <laughs> uh, so I didn't do that. <laughs> um, what a relief. Yeah. But um so because we've been running low on firewood and Kathy went to Well, do you want if, if you're not too tired, do you want to split some wood? I'm like, absolutely I wanna do that. Got me all set up. And then I'm I'm splitting wood. Now this wood that we were splitting, probably too early to split it. It's not quite it's still a bit a bit green, it needs to dry out a bit more. Um so but there was one, lots of bugs and stuff in them, but there was one, split it, open it up, there, guess what was in there? A scorpion,
0: get out! Oh,
1: I saw a bloody scorpion? It's like a piñata, like, isn't it? Yes, oh, it really was. It was like, oh my god, like this is. Um, and now
0: I never and, see scorpions in Victoria <clears throat> ever. People are like, oh, they're everywhere, and I think where?
1: Where exactly? I've never seen one. How big um, was the scorpion? Tiny, ty- like that, like tiny, a couple of centimeters, oh. like pretty tiny. Um, but it was cool. I saw the, you know, his little claws at the front and like his. I'm like, oh my god, that's a. Like, you know, it takes a minute. And you go, oh, oh, that's a, that's really a scorpion. And then I called Kath and I'm like, Cath, come, I found a scorpion. Come outside and have a look. Um, and then we looked at it and then um, I took like photos and stuff. And I was just so, like, I think Kath was a bit. How are you so cool with this scorpion? Yet a huntsman is like.
0: You know the worst thing in the world. I've actually but got it. Like, I totally understand that logic. From Kath or from me? Well, from Kath. Like it's yeah. just such a day more da- for me, like a more dangerous creature.
1: Yeah, but it's slower, <laughs> and it doesn't jump. That's that's my that's where I'm coming from. Oh, is that
0: I think I can I encountered some scorpions in Mexico and they jumped.
1: Well, this is a Victorian scorpion <laughs> and. And do you because know, I, I looked up like what what kind of scorpion it might have been, and I think because I I went to um, like you look up Australian scorpions in the Australian Geographic um page, it's the first one that comes up, and then I think from my research, then this is probably why I don't mind it so much because it's the spider hunting scorpion. <gasps> wow!
2: Oh. Yeah.
1: So it hangs out in like where um. Where spiders like take like in you know wood piles and stuff, um, and it's thought that it shelters in the burrows of trapdoor spiders, having killed the spider beforehand. Clever, He's
0: your little guy, your little spiritual guide, yeah, little scorpion, little spiritual guy. And also,
1: oh, update on 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 huntsmen. Um, just because I can't, there's been one episode after another of me having encountering the Huntsman's in my time down in Venus Bay. Um, but you know how there was one in the in the car a couple of weeks ago where I was, you know, Kath was driving and Hudson came across the windscreen yeah. and then I got out and then she couldn't find it. Yeah. Who knows where it went and we had to drive. And then I tried not to think about it um, and just um, avoided driving at, um, at sunset so I didn't have to pull the visor down because I was just... There were times where I'd be like, I'd just drive with one hand, with my arm up to it, so because I, I was like that, I'm not touching that bison now. I'm not touching anything up near the roof. Um, and then Kath confessed to me just the other day that she found it. <gasps> what do you mean you found it? And she went, she she pulled down the sun visor. Oh. And, like, a lot of people have had this happen to them where they pull it down and there's a huntsman on on the on the visor, right? <sighs> but Kath pulled it down and it fell and landed on her lap.
0: Get out. I know. I'm not okay with this. But, oh. Oh.
1: yeah, everyone take a moment.
0: It Sorry. landed
1: on her lap.
0: Oh,
4: my
1: and God. Fest, she ate that gave her a fright, and I'm like, "Well, that's
2: oh my just, god, and then,
4: fair
1: enough." It get little, huh. and then do you know what she, she did? She just went, went <sighs> put the window down and calmly picked it up and then threw it out the window.
0: <laughs> oh <my
4: God. laughs> Jesus, she bare
0: grills like that is insane,
4: isn't
0: it? I just she is uh, like,
1: yeah. That She's is nerves like of
0: steel. What makes Kath unnerved? Because I think if a Huntsman falling in your lap when you're driving in a car doesn't, doesn't Un- like shake your nerves. I don't know what does. I
1: think men does.
0: Men. Uh-huh. <laughs> Triple R. I'm
6: hungry. I want something to eat. Something with a crunch and very sweet. Uh-huh.
2: It's time for Food Interlude on a Wednesday with the Meat Now Sandwich, Michael Harden. Morning, Michael. Good morning. How are you? Yeah, really good. Uh, what? What is, what's the story in your world?
3: Uh, well, you know, I was thinking um, about, so I was eating one of my favourite sandwiches the other day, which is, uh, um, it's, Boiled egg, mayonnaise, fresh tomato, and anchovies on crispy white bread, and um, and thinking that uh, you know how well it was uh, it was handling my eating it because it's like one of my things that that I hate the most is sandwiches that have no integrity structural integrity. <laughs> <laughs> so what what
0: constitutes structural integrity?
3: Structural integrity is when you're eating a sandwich and all the fillings aren't sliding out the back of it as you're eating. Or you know how when you've got, you know, a sandwich and sort of like you get to the end of it and the top bit is like a centimetre wide and the bottom bit is like five centimetres and you're like, mm-hmm. something is yeah. not being really right about the way this sandwich has been structured. And as far as I'm concerned, given the fact that uh, many years ago I did work as a sandwich technician. Is that um, right? Yes, yes. So I sort of do have sort of some investment in this, but um, I think that it's like this for me, with a, a good sandwich, like 50% of the sandwich is how it eats as well as the, you know, as much as the flavour because it's like if you're eating a sandwich and you end up with, a, you know, half of it in your lap, that's not a great sandwich.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, I agree. I didn't know I ever had the right to feel that, but thank oh, you yeah, for validating it's that good. feeling.
3: Yeah, yeah, we should rise up. <laughs> is, it, is it is a spear or big toothpick cheating, or are you okay with it? Yeah, no, I'm I'm okay with that, but I feel that you know it's a bit of a rookie move. You know, yeah. it's sort of like if you're building your sandwich correctly, then you know you probably don't need the toothpick. If you're doing something like a, a traditional club sandwich where you're layering, then I think that you know a toothpick is is more than kosher. But if it's just a two you know, two, yeah. level, like one level sandwich, then, you know, kind of get over yourself. and two, Toothpicks really are the training wheels of sandwiches, aren't they? Absolutely. I was about to say yeah. it's the
0: bumper bowling of sandwiches, but training
3: wheels <laughs> is much better. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, you don't, you know, just kind of, you know, have a bit of a hard look at yourself if you're putting toothpicks in things and things <laughs> <laughs> So, so um, I guess, you know, it's sort of like obviously the building block of the sandwich is the bread. So, you know, you want to choose your bread properly, but, you know, sort of like bread works with, you know, different bread works with different things. So it's like, you know, some will will cope with a good with a bread with a good, good uh, texture, dense texture. So what you're looking for is something that has a bit of integrity around the edges. So the crust is pretty good, um, but then it needs to be, it needs to have a bit of give in the middle so that it's kind of like, so it's easy to eat. You know, because you don't want to be, you know, you don't want to be sort of shredding your mouth trying to sort of get into this sandwich if it's too tough. So, Mm Um, but also the bread can provide a really good crunch aspect because it's like when you're building a sandwich, it's sort of like the things that you're looking, you want a balance of textures and flavors in there. So you'd want wanting a bit of something, a bit silky, something a bit crunchy, something a bit creamy in there as well. And then, you know, then you sort of get, we'll get onto flavors in a minute. So, you know, sometimes if you're using, like if you're doing a chicken sandwich with mayo and and those sort of things, it's like, that's quite a soft sandwich. So it's nice then to to tote, give the bread a light toast and you'd, I think that's one of the, and it also means that the sandwich will retain a bit of integrity as well. Mm-hmm. The Americans like to griddle the bread as well, so if you want to go for that extra layer of richness, then you brush a little bit of butter on the bread first mm-hmm. and then just lightly grill it in a pan first. And so then it's got a sort of a richness to the bread. It's also, but it's also got a crunch in the bread as well. So it's sort of like that's going to be really, that's going to be fantastic. So um, then you, so once you've got your sort of bread in order, the other thing is when you're toasting the bread, lightly toast the bread. You don't want to kind of tear your mouth to shreds with some over toasted sort of mouth. Well, what
1: mouth. kind of toast are you eating?
3: Yeah. <laughs> Well, I'm very delicate. Yeah. (laughs) But, yeah, there are some breads, you know, don't take kindly to toasting. So just sort of just just be a little gentle on the toasting before you do that. Um, And then when you, it's about the layering is like one of the most important things. So it's sort of like you're looking at putting your denser stuff on the but oh i forgot the the other thing that, I, that you need to go before you get off the bread if the sandwich is going to be sitting around for a while you you uh, that's when you think about putting a layer of butter or if you have to margarine on the bread because that will then that gives it a waterproof layer so that the bread won't get as soggy as it would otherwise. So that's Mm. really good if you're packing um, a lunch, for example, and you're not going to be eating it. Unless you want one of those, you know, because there's a tradition with Italian sandwiches where you get day-old bread that's actually quite stale and then you put in things like pickled green tomatoes and then wrap it in glad wrap. And so by the time that lunchtime comes around, it's all softened and all the Mm, oil bread. And So that's a pretty delicious way of doing things as well. But if you're doing a traditional sort of... Australian British sandwich because you know that's that's what that's where like sandwich is a is a British thing because it was it came from the Earl of Sandwich um, originally. Um, so if you're looking at that sort of two bre- two slices of bread with filling in it, um, you know, and you want to keep it non-soggy, then uh, that's you know the little bit of butter there. And then when you're looking at um, filling the sandwich, you want to be putting the more dense ingredients on the bottom. So you're looking at, you know, your meats or your cheeses or anything like that, you put that on the bottom. And then once you start layering on top of that, you need to watch for things like the slippage comes from when you're putting two wet ingredients on top of each other. So say avocado and tomato, for example, you know, you don't want those sitting on top of each other because that's when your sandwich is going to start slipping around. Mm. So friend here is lettuce, um, that's kind of probably one of the, one of the great sandwich saviours. And we're not talking any old lettuce. We're talking the king of lettuces, which is iceberg, mm. So you know, which has the nice, uh, you know, it's got you've got your crunch. You've got your like it's nice and moist. It's sort of like it, it's giving you everything you need and you can shred it. And that is kind of what it provides grip and texture to your sandwich ingredients. So, um, that's kind of like, you know, one of the major things that you want. And then you sort of like, you know, and then layer the stuff on the top and then finish off with, if you're putting lettuce in your sandwich, finish off with lettuce on the top layer. Whoa. Um, when you, 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 you then you can, um, it's a better mouthfeel when you bite into it issue. If Mm. you're going through something crunchy before you get into the rest of the sandwich. Yes. So, um, it's really like, yeah. What use is the grip on the top layer? Well, it's more the top layer is more to do with that. That we're going back to texture. There, it's sort of right. like throughout the sandwich, it's going to give you, it's going to give you grip. But like at the putting lettuce or something crunchy on the top, you can also put, say, that's where you put your pickles if you've got oh. some sort of crunchy sort of pickle or anything, because it's more about the mouthfeel when you bite into a sandwich.
7: Yeah.
3: Um, it's like it's very nice to have that, like to go into the crunch first. Um, so that's kind of one of one of the good things about um, putting putting lettuce or I'm a big fan of putting the, the iceberg in there.
0: Where um, do you, where do you stand with uh, the old chip sandwich?
3: <laughs> oh God! <laughs> I think, I think that there is something to be said about it. I think it's one of the great um, Australian Australian inventions alongside <laughs> alongside the salad singer actually, which is a, a very um, very much an Australian invention. Um, nowhere else in the world does a salad sanger like we do here. Really? So, yeah, yeah. And um, so I think that it should be it should be held up. It should be made a bit better in most places because a lot of the time it's sort of saggy and sad. <laughs> but, um, you know, but the salad sandwich on white bread, and I'm not talking salad sandwiches in um, wraps because I think wraps oh, are, yeah. the, you know, you really need to be ashamed. Hang your head if you, <laughs> if you like that. If you Really pathetic excuses. You've just—it's—it's like—it's like you may as well have a T-shirt saying "I've given up."
2: Controversial. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh,
1: <virtual>. <clears throat> oh, you go.
3: No, 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 Jez,
2: go please.
1: I was just going to ask about flavours because you talked. What did you put on yours? What's your favourite sandwich? Sardines and something.
3: No anchovies, boiled yeah, right. eggs, mayonnaise, and tomato. And mm, um, what's okay. your tip there? What, what's your tip with boiled egg? Boiled egg. Oh, I've got the I've got the great way of doing the boiled egg. You put the boiled egg into boiling water. You drop it in with a slotted spoon into boiling water. You give five minutes. It's good because then you still got a little bit of runny yolk. In the in the middle, and then when you take it out five minutes later, you drop it into a little bowl of iced water, and it stops the cooking. So when you stop the, so, and it, and then it's really, really easy to peel the egg without oh. it all going everywhere. So it's like it's a it's a fantastic technique. It's sort of like you know, I only learnt that not that long ago. I'm feeling ashamed. It's like yeah, here I am, supposed to be this food writer, and I didn't even know how to boil an egg properly. Ah, <laughs> 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 oh, I you've
2: made me go crazy. I. I'm, uh, if you can have more than one sandwich in a day, that's what I'm doing. That's I know. insane.
3: Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I think that's the, Like, it's it's a good idea to practice your sandwiches. So having yeah. many sandwiches in a day is better. Better way to do things. Yeah. Oh,
2: so hungry now. Oh, and, I want and to just quickly, to, oh, a, I want a, a baguette to cop out. Oh,
3: uh, no, but it's not a sandwich. I okay. We wanted, like, you know, you can come, it's a roll. <laughs> it's but a roll. But that's a whole other conversation. You know, the architecture of the roll is something else. <laughs> uh,
2: food expert and egg boiler, Michael Harden. Thanks very much. <laughs> no worries. Independently yours, Triple R. 102.7. Uh,
1: Michael Harden was on earlier talking about um, the art of making a um, perfect sandwich, um so top top three favourite fillings to sandwiches. What what's your top three? Go. Three different sandwiches.
0: Oh, uh, uh well, number one right now, um, because I've been craving yep. it during pregnancy, is just chicken mayo lettuce, but really good Perfect. on good bread. Yep. Uh mm. that's, that's my number one. Daniel, you go. Um pastrami, uh
3: Ooh,
1: fancy. Poached
0: chicken, salmon, oh. egg.
1: So fancy. I yeah, do. So fancy. I love
0: an egg and lettuce, classic egg and lettuce yeah. as well. And then I just love a fresh salad sandwich. So, like, What do
1: you put on your salad sandwich? I
0: like it with everything. So I feel like, Michael Harden, you've got to t- tune out because this would disgust you. But I like lots of layers, like beetroot, cheese, tomato, sprouts, lettuce, carrot. You know when you go to a country bakery and you go, can yeah. I have a salad sandwich? And they go – you want a yeah, bit of everything, he, and you go, "Yeah, sure," and you get that massive sandwich wedged in white bread. I also yeah. love that.
2: I, I can't feature it out. I'm in. I can't believe you asked him about chip buddies. Uh, it's like <laughs> it, 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 it's like asking Michelangelo about the dogs playing poker. I, a chip buddy but is that?
0: Is that that embarrassing? Chip sandwiches are such a. I just feel no, like they're such a definitely. staple in people's lives. They're like a secret shame. But bring yeah. it to the guy that knows about sandwiches. And he approved of the chip sandwich.
2: Yeah, he did. He did. You're right. He yeah. Did.
0: You, when you say chip
1: sandwich, you, do you mean um, like you don't mean hot chips in bread? No, you I mean, mean like, like salt
2: and yeah.
0: vinegar chips.
2: Oh, I thought you meant the mm. chip buddy, no, which no, no, is hot no, chips in bread.
0: No, no, no. Like I meant the like the classic um, crisps in bread. So like the salt and yeah. vinegar chips stuffed in a bread Would roll. Did you do
1: that in fairy bread? Have you done that?
0: No, that's, No, I haven't.
1: Oh, I recommend it. Get on, oh, yeah. get on board. <laughs> a fair, fair and chip sandwich, yum yum yum. Is that Why the not?
0: savory sweet? Like when you have, you get a Macca's?
1: That's, ma- Mac- that's Mac- the dream. That's what you want in a sandwich: sweet and savory, mix and bring together. it together. <laughs> of, that's a sweet combo. Oh yeah, who doesn't love sweet and sour pork? Vegetarians, that's fair, but sweet and sour. It's still it's a good combo.
0: My best My- mate loves the uh, macca's chip dipped in a Sunday. Can't eat them any other way.
1: (laughs) Well, yeah, I I understand. I've had that before. Sweet and savory
0: as as normal. That's fine.
1: Also, going to the movies, get yourself some. um, Oh, I can't do it anymore. Never mind. (laughs) 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 At home, at home, get yourself some popcorn and some um, chocolate, like M and M's. Mix them together in your mouth. Yum.
0: Oh, that's, Delicious. Like a, that's a real choking hazard by the sounds of it. Oh,
1: chew before you swallow, that helps. <laughs> um, but my favourite sandwiches, Yeah. Um, number one, peanut butter and honey. Oh. Yeah.
4: Careful.
1: That was my, that's my childhood right there. Peanut butter and honey. That, that's what you get when you have to make your own lunch every day. What are you going to But – I'll just have peanut butter and honey. Um, other sweet combo – um cheese and Vegemite or
0: cheese and promite. Oh I northern. love I love a cheese and promite. Oh
1: Some people you're either you're a Vegemite home or you're a ProMite home and we're both.
0: Um well, wait a second. So,
2: <laughs> Jesus
0: <yes>. <laughs> <laughs> you sounded like Alan Jones somehow. <laughs> you this or you're that and I'm this. <laughs> Neither. You this
1: or you that I'm both. And um Cheese and Vegemite,
0: and, um, and then cheese and tomato. Yum. Oh, I love it. Or just like cheese and tomato, salt, pepper.
1: Yeah. Yes. Or do you know, mum used to put a bit of sugar on the cheese
0: and tomato. Did she Yum. explain yeah. so much? Explain like so a little bit of sugar. About your desire uh, to have sweetness with everything. Yeah. Uh, <laughs>
1: But, like, sandwiches in in high school, though, at our tuck shop, the best um, wasn't a sandwich because it was in a roll, but the tuck shop would make these um, chicken salad rolls. So it was, like, just your classic chicken, lettuce, tomato, cheese, something else, mayonnaise. But it was on a cheese and bacon roll, and it was just the best. So good. I
0: feel like that's the first thing Jamie Oliver would have removed from a kitchen that he went into on his, you know, clearing out the bad stuff of school food.
1: Yeah. Well, I feel good because I'd buy one instead of a hot dog every day, but, you know, I'm like, oh, I'll get a bit of salad in there. Can't have a hot dog every day. I'll be healthy and get a chicken salad roll and a cheese and bacon roll, please.
0: Mm-hmm. I used to do it, but with, the, with they used to sell these crispy um, chicken strips at the tuck shop, and sometimes we'd get those and put them in a roll. And I also thought that was healthy, like fried chicken strips. Yeah, yum. Yeah, so yum. Oh. But I was—I never had a money at school, and I used to—I was notorious for going up. Me and my best mate would walk around the common room asking people for bites of their sandwiches. Just go, <laughs> go. Have you, have you finished that? But you'd be surprised by how often standing next to someone and going, "Have you? Are you going to finish that? Could I have a bite? Are you going to finish that?" would lead to someone going to finish the bloody thing. Like <laughs> honestly, I, sh- I maybe yeah, I've talk met about- you
1: before. I'd absolutely give you half of my sandwich to to get rid of <laughs> me. I <laughs> know <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> where I had got my money from, though. Like in the hot, like. Just saying before, like I don't know where how I afforded to buy sandwiches every day. Where was I getting this money from? I had a uh,
0: job, but I used to scab money as well. That was I think people yeah. gave me a bite of their sandwich so I wouldn't ask them for money. Like in our yearbook, mine and my best friend, our quotes are about us scabbing money off people. I'm not. Oh, yeah. I'm not, I should be ashamed. And I had a job. I worked at a supermarket, <laughs> and I, I just think I spend all my money on. I ciggies. think it,
1: my job was. Um, the first when I was selling papers on the street corner,
0: yeah, back in nineteen twenty two. Extra, well,
1: extra. Paid, yeah, I got paid fifteen percent commission plus tips, um, and so I'd earn like maybe fifteen bucks. Fifteen dollars was a good day, and I reckon that's because I just like tips were like thirty cents because the paper was seventy cents, and people would give me a dollar, and I'd keep the change. <laughs> So I guess all, all that money would add up to chicken salad roll and a cheese and bacon roll for lunch, which is pretty pretty exciting.
2: Um, did you have a high school job, Daniel? Oh uh, yeah, I mean I worked at Aussie Disposals. Oh um, what a great job! Yeah. Isn't it? Oh my god, I
0: can't believe that's all we ever do, did was want to buy our clothes from Aussie Disposals in the late
2: nineties. Staff discount, mate. Oh mate.
0: <laughs> you would have been <laughs> camouflaged from head 4. to
2: toe. <laughs> That's right. No, people would come in and they would, you would, yeah, you would have to sell them knives and stuff occasionally. But I mean, which is fine. You're allowed to buy a knife. But it was always, you know, you're taking it out of a. You. But some people wanted bigger knives. They wanted swords. And then we'd send them around the corner to Mitchell's. Uh, <laughs> oh, no, nah, mate, also, you want Mitchell's. <laughs> <laughs> also, a video shop. But I'm really in. in, I'm really quite shocked at the caliber of sandwiches that you've both elected uh, uh, you know you've got rubens out there you've got all this culinary gloriousness yeah.
0: i'm sorry but how often are you at home going i'm just going to whip up a ruben it's all about what's there you don't just drive down the street you know there's a ruben shop but it's i just... thought the conversation was about if you had your
2: druthers if, you, know, if you had if, what if you if you had if you had if it was all about <laughs> sorry I've taken a, like a word from back to nineteen twenty two Geraldine's <laughs> <laughs> to, to, to era <laughs> slang
5: Melbourne's own
2: Triple R. Checking in with local comedians in lockdown, we're joined by Wednesday wise cracker, Jonathan Schuster. Morning, Jonathan.
5: Good morning, everyone. <laughs> How are you? Very
1: yeah, well, swell? thank you. Also, just have to let listeners know that um, Jonathan and I were delivered by the same person in the same hospital different times, but Dr. Davey, shout out to Dr. Da- our doctor.
5: Dr. Davey, it's my favourite fact <laughs> that I have. I so exciting. Every time I talk about you, I just talk about our same, same deliverable person. It's exciting. <laughs> how, did think- you,
0: how did you work that fact out?
5: Uh, Aubrey, it's a small town, so you just mentioned it, Geraldine. I don't mm. know why you were so passionate. Um, <laughs> no, I
2: think you brought it up first.
5: No way, because you said I had to call mum up, and I said, who was I delivered by? And she's like, Dr. Davey. So you knew it. You already knew it.
1: So well, Dr. my family, our family doctor, so I just assumed that, you know, there's only one Dr. Davey in Aubrey, I reckon. Anyway. But I think you brought it up first. What else has been going on?
5: Oh, not much. Um, nothing, really. Um, the masks. you yeah, have already spoken about masks, I imagine. <laughs> yeah, a but, little bit. Um, it's annoying. It's like anno- even more annoying for me. Like everyone with glasses is complaining, but I wear glasses and a hearing aid. So I've got like three things sitting <laughs> behind my ears now, which is very annoying. Um, so if anyone's complaining, shut up. <laughs> Uh, and oh, uh, last You're, like, you're I, like
2: a broken Robocop
5: <laughs> <laughs> I am Damn. a bit robotic It's annoying <laughs> And I'm a babe, So I'm just connected to so many, you know Power outlets <laughs> uh, Last time I saw you, Geraldine and Sarah, well, you you did the the announcing at um, Meredith for oh, the...
0: Oh, yeah, we did.
5: Yeah, so I saw you there. But I don't know if you remember me, Sarah, because you're just about to go on, so you're pretty nervous.
0: Oh, I can't um, remember you at all. I'm Now I'm terrified. Nah. <laughs> I
5: was with my friend, but I've got a story about him. Could you want me to tell a story, but I haven't been doing anything. Um, <laughs> but my friend was recently... Uh, just before lockdown happened again, he was at the Barwon Club in Geelong. shared at oh, yeah. the Barwon Club. <laughs> uh, and he was uh, speaking to a girl who recognised him because she worked at a supermarket that he went to. And um, they started hitting it off. And then during the band playing or during something, uh, a person collapsed and she knew CPR, and then she saved this man's life. <gasps> but during the kerfuffle, uh, my friend was wanting to get a number, but this uh, CPR guy—guy uh, guy who claps—you know—I don't know if you allow to say cock blocked. But, uh, <laughs> so she, uh, yeah, uh, he never got to you know talk, uh, get a number or. Um, you know. Congratulate her on her amazing skill set. So I'm just this shows in Geelong, doesn't it? All the way to Geelong. Yep.
0: Goes all the way to Geelong.
5: Yep, great. So if anyone uh knows of this girl, um, please hit up Benjamin Ray. <laughs> uh, Facebook. Or can they can they contact your page? Yeah, sure. How, yeah. We, how, do, can, we, how sh- do we get these two in contact? I think they're getting along.
0: They can text yeah, us. I think,
1: yeah, get in touch with us. We'll pass it on to you. For
5: yeah. Sure. Yeah. Oh, wait, that's cool. If I can play a matchmaker during COVID, that would be so cute. Yes. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Do you remember that um, that, M- that section in the MX newspaper, that free newspaper? Yeah. And yeah. It was, I think it was called "He's Looking at You, and it was like, I'm the bloke reading Harry Potter on the 715 Wepping or whatever, oh. coffee. Yeah.
1: Yeah, always coffee, coffee.
5: (laughs) (laughs) It was it was devastating every day. Not not the facial in it. Open. I I
2: I also just quickly we we spoke to your um your co-star Kathleen about that Sex and Death that web series that you were a part of.
5: Yeah, that was Mm. real fun. Yeah, a serious role. Um. And uh, yeah, it was exciting. I played a sort of love interest. Yeah, I want to ask what's that like? Uh, yeah, it was good. Um, I didn't want to kiss um, I didn't want because there was going to be a kissing scene, possibly, and because I, I didn't get paid for it, I didn't want to just I, I didn't want to kiss her f- for no money.. Uh, <laughs> Because I didn't want my girlfriend just then doing all these open mic sort of, you know, videos on phones and just making out with dudes. I didn't want to start a a kiss off with my girlfriend, because she does acting as well. So, um but it's a great show. Um, so where did
1: the kissing bit land? So you, there was no kissing or...?
5: No, no, it ended up just being during the party scene. We just... Um, but it made more sense for me to not kiss, I think. But um, it's a really great show. It's real fun. It's um, the acting. I was actually with real actors. Mm-hmm. Like, like the, And you just look at how amazing... Act, could you... You forget how hard acting is because you've got to remember your lines and also where to stand and also pretend to in- know what they're saying and nod. Oh, it's a nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. You've done a bit of acting, Geraldine, have you?
1: I have done a bit of acting and all those things you said are correct. There's a lot to think about. But yeah. also there's just a lot of waiting around.
5: Yeah, absolutely. Oh, my episode of um, Rose Haven's on tonight. I well, that's interested? exciting. Yeah. So um, watch that. <laughs> Shout out to Rose <laughs> Um But I forgot. I had this big monologue. I had to do a speech and I forgot it. So I, I, they have to edit around me. So that'll be interesting. With, um, <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah. How long is that? Ten minutes.
2: <laughs> if you've got more on your chest, go for it. Very uh, intrigued. Want to talk uh,
5: about your podcast? Oh yeah. yeah, I there's there was even a sketch that came out recently it was like in COVID, don't start a podcast, you idiot. Everyone's doing it, so I thought, what's the worst podcast I can do? And it's an Avatar 2009 Avatar film fan podcast. <laughs> So making a podcast of a movie that doesn't have fans, but it should. It should. <laughs> it's like the biggest movie. So me and Kate Johnson, comedian from Sydney. She's amazing. Um, we're just going to um, talk about uh, Avatar, Avatar, I guess. Yeah. Our first guest is Frank Hamster, uh, an ex-military. He's a comic, um, and we're going to talk about the, the tactics of um, the army in Avatar and um, – <laughs> We've got, a, I think, a mushroom specialist to talk about, like, the 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 plants on Avatar or Pandora. So I think it'll be fun. What else yeah. are going to do for the next six weeks or whatever?
1: <laughs> Sit in bed and have a cup of tea.
5: Exactly. Yeah.
2: Was, was it unobtainium? Was that was the, the there mineral thereafter? Yeah.
5: I, I saw your eyes Googling off screen. No, I, was, I, was, I
2: wanted to – I thought that, that – and that, I was also – Sam Worthington, what what do you think about his performance in Avatar?
5: I'm so proud of him. <laughs> he's this little Aussie larrikin who went from living in his car to, like, a billion-dollar film. Good on him. Um, yeah. I think he's in the new ones. I haven't seen him do much else. I think he's in, like uh, like, a Christian movie about love based on a book but i think his whole life is now just dedicated to avatar and good on him
2: yeah now yeah. now yours is too yeah <laughs> yeah
5: uh yeah. Um, is that it
2: yeah is there, any, is there a, so there's sex and death dot online is the name of the uh, web series and uh you've got your podcast coming out rosehaven tonight anywhere else you want to send us
5: uh yeah, uh look uh, Ben Benny Ray, hit him up, hit the <laughs> show up if you if you met him at the bar and club. He's a gorgeous boy. Um, <laughs> and a bit lonely during COVID.
2: Good on you. Jonathan Schuster, thanks heaps. Thank you. <laughs> Triple R For Feature Creatures, we're joined once again by Melbourne Museum's bug man, Simon Hinkley. Morning, Simon. Good morning, everybody. Hello. Uh, well, you're, uh, do you have any nicknames? How do you like Hinkers? <laughs>
7: Sarah <laughs> I, called I, your
0: Hinkers I, off air. Oh, yeah, you didn't do. hear it. I said I'm going to oh, call Hinkers God. now. And
7: I... I didn't hear it. Uh, I do get, I get hinkers, hinkles. Um, when I was in primary school, I got stinkly and stinkles. So um, oh. I certainly prefer hinkers. Yeah.
2: I won't bring stinkers back, don't you? No. <laughs> uh, anyway, an
7: intriguing topic today. Yeah, I thought I would, um, uh, hopefully I won't make too many clangers because I'm going to venture out of um, the insect world and more into slugs and snails just because, um, people probably don't realise how amazing um, some of the adaptations that the snail in their backyard has. So the snails that we encounter in our backyards in the in a city context tend to be the introduced species. So the, the big leopard slugs, the garden snails that you have in your backyard are introduced. Um, Australia has probably at least a 1,000 described species of, of native slug and snail and probably up to about 2,500. And, and there are some really spectacular ones. If people Google Mount Kaputa slug, It's uh, an old volcanic region in New South Wales that has this bright pink um, slug. It actually, in some shots, looks like a slab of liver or meat. So some shots aren't very flattering, but it's this big um, pink slug. It's found only on this mountain, and on the same range, there's nine species of snail that are found nowhere else. So you get these really sort of isolated refuge habitats that have really incredible diversity. Um, It looks like a chilli. It does look a bit like a chili, and there are some oh. shots where it does look like raw meat. <laughs> it
0: doesn't look—that's not white chilies look like. <laughs>
7: uh, <laughs> one day, one day Sarah's going to say, "Oh my god, that's amazingly gorgeous." <laughs> but, uh, not, not today. Sorry. <laughs> oh no, it does—it
0: does look like maybe like a giant, almost like a sweet potato at a distance.
7: Yeah. Yeah. And then we have um, micro snails that are about a millimetre long. So really, and and, um, there's a snail in Tasmania that's been named after David Attenborough. Um, It's a beautiful thing. It has red markings, a translucent yellow um, shell and a purple foot. So when I say the foot, the foot is the part of the, the slug or the snail that's in contact with the ground. And it has glands that um, exude mucus. So that's what the snail, everyone will know from seeing the the slime trails they leave behind. The snails and slugs are moving on a a trail of mucus. And it's that that enables them to go up surfaces and they could go across um, sharp surfaces without getting injured if they needed to. But back to what makes them, the one in your backyard, interesting. That's the introduced uh, species from uh, England and Europe. Um, One of the reasons why it's so bad in Australia is in Europe, in the cold winters, it doesn't reproduce, but because we have milder winters here, it reproduces for longer periods of the year, and also it's probably missing things in Australia like, I assume in the UK, it's eaten by hedgehogs. We don't have hedgehogs here. Not that we, want, we don't want hedgehogs, we don't want more introduced animals, even though they're very, very cute. But what's amazing about them is their reproductive strategy. So they are hermaphrodites, so they have uh, male and female sex organs. Uh, that's interesting enough in itself. And the genital pore is located just sort of to up near the head. Okay. So that's where things come out and go in. So when they're looking to reproduce, and it's all done very slowly, as you can imagine with, with snails, um, someone said that the this species of snail moves at, a, if it's going at its optimum, it goes at about 0.048 kilometres an hour, which means... <laughs> It can traverse 48 metres in an hour. You look at a cheetah, which runs the 100 metres in six seconds. So the snails are really at the cruisy end of things. And that sort of also goes into the reproduction. There's a lot of circling. There's a lot of the eye tentacles come out and touch and go back in and all that sort of stuff. But what's really fascinating is when they're in the process of mating, the snails both try to impale their mate with what's called a love dart. The scientific name is gypsabellum, but it's it's actually a calcium carbonate little harpoon or spear that they try to fire into their mate and snail eyesight is not brilliant sometimes it goes into the head sometimes it misses um, and then you can see snails with the love dart still sticking into them and then so you sort of go why would a soft-bodied animal come up with a strategy of harpooning its mate because they have done some studies and found that being harpooned not surprisingly reduces lifespan and also fertility so it actually damages the snail to be stabbed with a calcium carbonate dart who would have thought you would (laughs) (laughs) it's not rocket science but um what what the so-called love dart does is it has mucus on it that um encourages the snail that is darted to accept more of the darters sperm so it's all about passing your genes on so And the snail that is darted doesn't want to be darted because it wants to mate with as many snails as possible to get the best mate. So when the snail gets darted, the mucus on the dart encourages the snail's body to accept more of the sperm. And what that means is that future mates don't really get a a shot in or the snail that's been stabbed might just go, you know what? I've, it's not thinking in these ways, but it might go, I've had enough. I've just been stabbed. I don't really have the need to mate again. So that means that, therefore, the sperm from that snail that's stabbed is the one that's going to produce the eggs. So it's a really bizarre strategy that you actually injure your mate to try and maximise your chance of passing on your genes.
2: Wow, that's terrible. It's a brutal old world out there, isn't it?
7: It is. I mean, it's sort of – but I guess what it does do is – and it, not all snails and slugs do this, but a lot of them do. I, I just love the idea that um, when you you sort of, you know, you take ages to get into position and then you fire the dart and you've, you've just completely missed it, has gone over the snail's head or you've poked it in the eye, and you only get um, one shot. So it takes them about a week to reproduce another dart because it's made of calcium. So, you, you know, you need to try and get it right – um, and stabbing your mate in the eye is not the way to go or missing their head or impaling their head is not the way to go. So it's a, a very unusual strategy. But I guess what it does do is it's a constant battle, if you like. So the idea that you're going to be stabbed by your mate encourages you to come up with strategies to maybe toughen the skin or to, to come up with strategies. So it's it's sort of like an arms race within the species to get a better dart but then to also not get darted.
0: Do you think this is where the cu- the idea of Cupid was inspired by?
7: I'm so glad you that is the best question, Sarah. Because when I was reading on this, there is <laughs> <laughs> there is um, a, a researcher in Canada who works on snails and slugs, and and he believes that the idea of Cupid has come from from this because ah. um, this snail that we're looking at. So the, the garden snail is the one that's been studied the most, and there could be lots of other snails where the love dart. Um, has different um, uh, reasons for being, but certainly in this species that seems to be the case and that occurs in Europe. So it's quite possible that, ah. for example, that Greek people who saw the snails and saw them with a love dart stuck in them or, or saw what was going on, that his suggestion is that the idea of Cupid and the love dart has come from this snail. Huh. So, how, have... no,
1: how is this not more common knowledge? This is the coolest <laughs> thing that I've learned. In it's a pretty
7: month. good, isn't it? <laughs> like you just get, you know, you're trying to reproduce, and someone suddenly stabs you with a, a calcium carbonate harpoon. It's it's a, yeah. it's an amazing strategy.
1: Where does where does it shoot out from?
7: So it has um it has a gland up near sort of so the genital pore is up to the to the side of the head, and that's where um, the parts go out and the parts come in. And it has a gland near there that's quite muscular because it needs to sort of push this dart out hard to, to oh. fire it into the body of the of its mate. So, um, yeah, it, it's sort of all located up sort of near the head.
0: Would it be possible yeah. to watch this happening in your garden? Like, is it
7: – or is it too – If you had the patience of Job, because they do take, you know, ages to um, – apparently can last for hours. So they're yeah. trying to sort of circle around. <laughs> I mean, we're in isolation, Sarah. If you're really, really bored in the backyard. Dude and you want some sort of quality time with nature in the sun, or they're probably not going to be doing it in the sun. But, yeah, look, you can see it happen. Um, you're probably more likely to, because who's got that patience, if you actually see the snail, you're more likely to maybe catch one with a love dart still stuck in it. Huh. But to be honest, who goes around looking at the snails? I mean, I'd, I'd never thought to do that until I sort of was reading about this. But if you look online, if you sort of Google snail love dart, you will see shots of snails with the love dart still stuck in them. Huh. Um, it's probable that the the dart is species specific so if you happen to find fo- if you were an expert in love darts and found one you could probably go oh that's the love dart of the garden snail corneus burst and that sort of thing
2: goodness Harpoonal spear well i'm keeping that for my side hustle as a Mills and boon novelist <laughs> god it's, uh, well you ventured out into into the snail world and i, I you know yeah uh i I also want to ask maybe i'll save it for another time have you ever named a bug
7: i have i've named um uh one uh, a species of ant and that is the good thing about um snails there's lots to still find and if you describe it you can name it
2: yeah right okay Mm. uh topic for another time anyway just (laughs) always fascinating thank you so much simon or hinkers <laughs> <laughs>
7: Pleasure. Oh and I yeah. want to say, um, just on a, on a last note the french apparently eat about 500 million snails a year. So um yes they are also obviously very important in a cultural culinary context for certain countries. Yeah.
2: Jeez,
7: nice.
8: oh, half a billion.
5: Thanks yeah. mate. Triple. Ah. Uh. <laughs> <laughs>
2: For our Friday Funny Bugger this week, we're joined by local comedian Prue Blake. Morning, Prue.
8: Morning, everyone. How are you? Morning.
2: Swell. What's uh, what's news?
8: Well, I've been thinking this week a lot about my family. My parents are smug bastards that live up in Queensland. Right. (laughs) They've been really ripping into me. But I know everyone's kind of missing family. We can't see them so much. And it's got me thinking a lot about building my own family. Um, Yeah, yeah, of course, you know, the obvious route being adoption, Um, not of kids though, yucky. Um, I'm only 27, so I'm not trying to be a teen mum, but but I actually adopt a lot of parents um, or just, you know, foster any lost little parents, take them under my wing, let them Mm. really enjoy caring for me. So I was doing it a bit before lockdown. I think I'm going to ramp it up when we come, come back afterwards.
1: And do you have, um, where do you find these lost parents?
8: Mm, good question, Geraldine. A lot of them I find at work. Um, there's just something about my face. I've looked about 12 since I was 16 years old and uh, <laughs> there's something about this face that really inspires the paternal rather than the predatory and the older man. <laughs> And and for that, yeah, I do have a lot of natural advantages when it comes to tracking them down.
6: Mm.
2: (laughs) Do have have parents, you know, always love you insofar as like would you go to parties and you find yourself in the kitchen with the parents?
8: Oh, oh yeah. Of course. course. The other day my ex boyfriend from high school told me that I was still his grandparents' (laughs) favourite. And I'm still riding that high. (laughs) Of course I am. (laughs) Now, I I thought, you know, you guys seem pretty on board with it, but I thought if you weren't sold on the concept, I prepared a list of benefits just in case you wanted to go looking for your own parents.
1: All right. Um,
8: So obviously number one is that adopted parents, they're really more friends than parents, Um, unlike my mum, who's told me she's not my friend, she's my mum my whole life. (laughs) Kind of mean. (laughs) Now I'm in my 20s and she might want to be my friend. Too late, mum. <laughs>
2: <laughs> did, did you ever watch the Gilmore Girls wistfully?
4: Oh, yes. What a lie.
8: <laughs> what a lie you know. She would be quite annoying as a mum, but great as an adopted mum. <laughs> another positive, though. Uh, you don't only get a home-cooked meal when you visit, but they also booze you up and ask to hear all your latest sex stories. <laughs> <laughs> Fun little treat. <laughs> Never get to drop those stories out at the family dinner table. <laughs> and, you know, they're some of the best.
5: Um,
8: another another positive, they don't call you Prudy Rudy. Um, that's just a family nickname I don't like. <laughs> pretty <laughs> don't, good. Prudy Rudy. Yeah. I feel like it just. If
1: I if I became your adopted mum, I would absolutely call you Prudy Rudy.
8: <laughs> oh no! <laughs> I didn't realise I was ruling mums out. <laughs> Why and, um, am I telling them all this inside goss? <laughs> it,
2: it seems unfair to give you the name Prue and then roast you for it.
8: <laughs> yeah, it does. It? <laughs> it's better than a lot of my friends that have have used. Who as the nickname. I oh, think yeah. that's an endearing little name. <laughs> but, and it's pretty, Rudy, I still hate more. <laughs> it's um, it's tricky. Um, another another good point is that they're adorably out of touch with the share house experience. Mm. Um, whenever I complain about my housemates being in the bathroom, they'll always be like, why don't you just go in there and be like, oh, well, it's urgent. <laughs> Which I don't know why they where they lived where they ever thought that there was a shared housemate bathroom experience.
1: <laughs> yeah, urgent trumps someone else doing a poo. <laughs> yeah,
8: yeah, you're like, oh, I know you're pooing, but I've absolutely got a shower right now.
2: <laughs> do, what do what do your folks think of uh, your life in Melbourne when they do catch up with you?
8: Oh, I mean, they're really ripping into it at the moment. But they just think everything's very small. They think the coffees are not hot enough,
5: <laughs> and
8: they think everything's too expensive.
2: Right? Yeah, and and they they want you to live alone. Would they prefer that for you?
8: Oh, I don't think they give a shit. <laughs> But I would like to live alone. I was like lusting after one-bedroom flats the other day. Can't afford those, though. Oh, my God, it'd be a dream. All right.
2: So that's number four.
8: Yeah, and the final one, um, and probably the most important one, I saved for last, um, and it's a twofer. um, More people to buy tickets to your comedy shows (laughs) and you get to test your jokes with the demographics that will actually have the money to support you. (laughs) 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 That's a (laughs) goodie.
1: That is a goodie. How many adopted parents have you um, acquired over the years?
8: Oh, over the years I've had a few different sets. Sometimes I I do just foster them, so I let them go back out into the wild. I'd say I've probably had four or five sets now. And
1: and is there any favourites? Ooh,
8: yeah, I do have favourites. I don't know if I want to name names. <laughs> Tell us about them, though. But they, um, they live in Fitzroy, very good position, really good cooks, and I've actually um, worked for one as a contractor, so they've, they've given me quite a bit of financial support.
1: Oh, that's a good foster parent. Great
8: foster parent. And I know they'll be listening. So <laughs> I do have to message them beforehand. I said, anything you don't agree with is a lie. Don't worry. <laughs> but there are downsides. So I will make sure, of course, to mention the downsides.
4: Um, mm-hmm.
8: More people questioning your life choices. Um mm-hmm. You know, like, why are you throwing away your degree to do comedy? Um, but also the biggest one is that they're just always pressuring you to make it legal. They just really want to properly adopt. <laughs> <laughs> i get a bit gun-shy on that one. <laughs> you know, parents love that piece of paper. They love making it legal. Yeah. And what...
2: Yeah, sorry, go on.
8: Some live in COVID-free states, so I should consider it.
2: (laughs) And what what is it that you bring to the table, do you think, as a foster child?
8: Oh, aside from being adorable. Yeah. um, Really amusing. Yeah. I've never been asked this question before. (laughs) I always thought it was pretty (laughs) self-explanatory. Sorry, I didn't mean
2: to impugn your credentials.
8: (laughs) Yeah, just I think I just bring a, a bit of fresh joy and care into their lives.
2: Yeah, yeah.
8: Keep them in touch with the younger crowd.
2: And you also want to keep your real parents jealous a bit. Oh, oh no.
8: I love it when they're jealous.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, Prue Blake, always fun to chat. Thank you.
8: Ah, fun to be here. Thanks for <laughs> Triple R.
0: You've been listening to the best bits of the Breakfasts, which is the Monday to Friday breakfast show broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia. Feel free to get in touch with Breakfasts via Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or via the Triple R website.